before we get into this week's episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, I've got a little favour to ask. It's the end of the year and that means it's time for the Pod Bible magazine listener polls for 2022. And I'd be really grateful if you could vote for my podcast in the independent category. Obviously, it's lovely when I get nominated or win awards because I put a lot of time and effort and care into making this podcast. But the main reason I would like your vote is because I believe that one of the best ways to raise awareness around mental health and to normalise the type of conversations that I'm having is to break out of the regular mental health spaces. And the Pod Bible listener polls have categories for film and comedy and lifestyle and entertainment and all that stuff, but that's not what I do. And I think this is a great opportunity to get this podcast and the subject of mental health into a different demographic of listener. And then maybe it can reach someone who really needs to hear it, but doesn't yet know that it exists. It's also really cool that these awards have a section that is exclusively for independent podcasts because let's face it us indies tend to get passed over by the big boys and girls and it would just be awesome to shine a bit of a light on what I'm doing and hopefully like I say that way it can help a few more people there's a link in the episode notes it's really easy and you don't have to vote in all the categories if you don't want to you can skip to the last one and just type proper mental into the box there's no need to sign up or to log on or do any of that stuff all in all it takes about a minute it's just a few taps on your phone screen and it would really mean a lot to me if you could take the time to help me out voting closes on december the 31st at midnight but don't wait till then go in the episode notes find the link click it now. Thank you very much for listening. Now that's out of the way, let's crack on with this week's episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 110 of the Proper Mental Podcast. That's got a nice ring to it, hasn't it? 110, what a lovely number. My guest this week is Hannah Phillips, who is a writer, a speaker. She's the founder of Wonderful Women, which is an organisation that looks to bring women together to inspire and motivate each other. She's also an ambassador for the Big Moose Charity, a charity that Hannah credits with saving her life. We talk about them a lot in this episode. You're going to find out all about the incredible work that they do. And Hannah grew up around mental illness and experienced OCD herself as a child. But she would hide her struggles from the people around her for many years before things came to her head. And it was only reasonably recently when Hannah gave up alcohol, which was her biggest coping mechanism, that her mental health really started to decline rapidly. And she started to make some plans, you know, those sorts of plans. And really it was a chance encounter that kind of turned that round and stopped all that happening. And I'm not going to tell you what that is. Hannah's about to tell her story, so I'm going to let her tell it. But it's a lovely story. It's a very inspiring story. And since all this happened, Hannah's really been able to take control of her mental health. And, you know, she's just on a, on a mission at the moment. She's speaking, she's writing, she's raising awareness. She's doing loads of stuff with Big Moose. It's just been really inspiring to watch. So Hannah's a friend of mine. I'm not quite sure how we know each other. It's something to do with social media, but we became quite good friends online. Uh, she's always been a, a huge supporter of the podcast. And I've just been, yeah, just so just impressed and in awe 
of the way that she's just been going about stuff over the last few months. I just think she's wonderful. And so we were going to do this podcast back in the summer and we met up because we live quite near each other or my family live quite near where Han lives. And we met up and we were going to record a podcast and we ended up just sitting and chatting for about four hours and drank far too much coffee. But this time, you'll be glad to know, we obviously managed to get it done. And there's um, quite a cool story around this podcast, I suppose. So we recorded it in person, which is lovely. And we were walking around a place called Pembrey Country Park, which is like seven miles of coast and forestry, which is very near to where I'm from. And it's a place that's very special to me. Pretty much all my childhood memories involve me and my cousins running wild through those woods. It's the place that has given me my love of nature and my passion for outdoors. And it just features really heavily throughout my whole life, really. I actually proposed to my wife on the beach there. So it was really lovely to be there with my friend talking about mental health. And we just popped my portable recorder in my bag. We had two leads into microphones that were far too long. And we just kind of wandered around. And there's times you'll hear us have to turn back because the wind was too loud. We get barked at by a dog. We get some funny looks off people on the way around. But it was just a, a lovely experience. We got very, very lost. But the whole thing is just, uh, yeah, really lovely and something a bit different, I think. We chat about giving up booze. We talk about suicidal thoughts, self-awareness, running, writing, everything in between. We talk about Hannah's work with Big Moose and what they're all about. We talk about wonderful women and the importance of uh, amplifying working class voices. Yeah, it goes everywhere. It's brilliant. I can't thank Hannah enough for her time for her openness, for the jokes as well. She's very funny. And um, yeah, I'm just so chuffed that she's my mate. I feel very, very lucky to have met her. And um, yeah, I think you're going to love this episode. But Hannah does so many things. I'm not going to read them all out now, but they're all in the episode notes. So go and have a look. You can follow her on social media at Hannah the Runner. For God's sake, sign up for her Patreon so she can stop banging on about it. And I've put links in there for the stuff with Big Moose and everything they're up to as well. If you don't already, please give me a follow on Instagram or Twitter or wherever you like to follow people at Proper Mental Podcast. If you want to get in touch, send me an email via the website. And of course, I can't finish an intro without asking for a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify, please. Anyway, this is episode 110 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Hannah the Runner. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. As long as it's kind of like a fifth distance towards your mouth, it should be all right. Just kind of somewhere in front of your face and be fine. Oh my God, can you yeah. imagine if someone walks around the corner now? <laughs> we'll bound to see someone. We'll You'll be Johnny Cash and I'll be June Carter. I, we'll tell them we work for Spring Watch. Nice. And, I uh, would like to work for Country File, if yeah, I'm totally honest. Yeah, I feel like, like the that. Helen Skelton vibe sometimes. Yeah. So. yeah, that's the way, mate. That's the way. Um, Anything you want to talk about specifically or avoid or no no we'll just go for it yeah cool so here we are with another episode of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is hannah phillips how are you mate i'm good i'm excited oh me too mate me too i think um there's going to be some really weird background noise on this one so t where where are we han what's going on mate? we I, I know i feel like we should explain um <laughs> we are in Pembrey. is it national park is it a national it's park? A country park country park um on the west coast of Wales. Yeah. Yeah. Look at me asking you for geography. I know, yeah. Um, going for a walk with the microphones. Going for a walk in the microphones. Yeah, so we're strolling through the, the forest right now. So we were going to meet up anyway, weren't we? Yes. And have a coffee. And then we thought, well, why not 
do a podcast. Let's do it. Because we were supposed to do it last time we met up. Yeah. And then we just sat and drank coffee all morning and didn't do anything. No. So now's now's the time. Now's the time. Yeah. Um, where do you want to start, mate? I had an idea where we could start. Um, because I saw the video that you did for Big Moose. Right. Yeah. And Let's I, start there. Should we start there? Like yeah. What, what led you? Where was your head at in the run up to you going into Big Moose? And all that sort of stuff started. So about, I was, I'm going to say 18 months ago now, um, I was really poorly, really, really poorly. And I've been really, really poorly a couple of times. Um, but this time seemed to, to really take its toll because I, um, you know, when, when you get poorly, when I get poorly anyway, no, I can't speak for everybody, I try my best. So I do lots of running, I do lots of writing, and I'd given up alcohol, and I was just trying, trying, but I was swimming against the tide constantly. And we were in West Wales, funny enough, because I don't live in West Wales for reference, <laughs> um, in our caravan. And I had said to Scott, can you look after the girls, because I'm going home. And he was like, what do you mean you're going home? And I was like, I'm, I'm going home, and I need you to look after the girls. And... Thank goodness he didn't let me go home because in my head, home was the end. Mm. I, I had no more fight left in me. Um, and like I said, swimming against the tide and I'd been doing it for about six months and there was just nothing left. So he kept me there and he bought us some time, thankfully. And I, I always... It's a lot of water reference, but... I was treading water then until I could get another plan together, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I worked for Welsh Athletics in the day for the social running provision um, called Run Wales. And we had been in touch with a charity called Big Moose. So Big Moose is a cafe in Cardiff that aimed to leave the world better than they found it. Um, there's lots of background stuff. I could probably spend the entire podcast <laughs> talking to you about that, but I won't. Um, and they have these massive, massive teams for Cardiff Half and things like this. So I'd been involved a couple of times and I'd gone down for a meeting pretty much the week after I had told Scott I was going home. And um, Jeff and Chloe are a father-daughter team that run the whole project. And Jeff had said to me, are you okay? And I was like, oh, you know, up and down, because I am really very open about my mental health because I think it's the healthiest way to be, which is ironic. <laughs> um, and Jeff had said, oh, you don't seem that well sort of thing, but he didn't say it like that. He's really, really intuitive people they are. And he said to me, oh, listen, there's, we, we, we've got this provision at the moment and I don't know whether you're interested. And I was like, oh, what? And he said, well, we're giving out blocks of therapy to people that might need it. Okay. Free. Um, we just, you know, we realised during the pandemic that people needed help and we've got this if you're interested. And I did that classic thing where I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. Use it on people who need it. And um, Jeff is really clever. So he said to me, well, I tell you what, even if you don't think you need it, why don't you try it and you can let me know because we're trying to sort of like firm the project up. Okay. So you can give me your feedback so because he was like it's, it's good for everybody to have a bit of therapy in it and I was like oh, okay then um 
And two days later, Graham, the therapist, called me. And I just burst into tears. And I was like, I'm done. And then I think it was two days later, we had our first session. And four wow. sessions later, and I'm an absolutely different person. Four sessions. Four sessions. Wow. Yep. Just goes to show, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So they use a therapy called Human Givens. Um, and Human Givens is, is quite known for its, its quick right. results. Yeah. So yeah. they just tap in quite quickly to the problems. Had you done any therapy before? No, before which is, is funny because I've been in the mental health system for goodness knows how long. Um, but no, I'd never had therapy, so it was, it was, and we had it on Zoom, and I'm really socially awkward, especially on Zoom, um, which is it's interesting, really, because I'm such a show pony, but I hate Zoom, so when I knew I was going to be having these therapy sessions, I was like, oh no, God, I'm going to say something really inappropriate, which is kind of the point of therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it worked out fine. Oh, so yeah. Nice. So you mentioned, like, in the build-up to that, you were aware that things were slipping. Were you aware that they were slipping because you've you've been there beforehand? Yeah. 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 So I've been at that point probably three times. It is. I say probably. You absolutely know how many times. Um, I've got OCD, which was diagnosed late in my twenties. Um, so I've always had sort of a fascination with suicide but what happens is when I'm very poorly is it switches from a sort of fascination and I say that not in a light way yeah, you know it's sort yeah. of like it's one of the obsessions that you sort of ruminate over yeah yeah let's, let's unpack that a bit maybe yeah. what do you mean by a fascination so you sort of when I'm really poorly and I'll start thinking well you're probably better off nor you and then this sort of snowballs as it does with yeah. a yeah. an obsessive thought and um, I've probably had those since I was a kid and I don't mean in a oh you're probably better off you know I just it's, I get to the point where I'm so exhausted I'm like I'm better off yeah. not you now yeah, because idea. I'm just putting a strain on everything and everyone and myself so it's just better off being yeah. out the way yeah I, 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 I get that a lot I used to think like when I was at my worst, I used to think like, oh, I'm nearly 40. And, you know, I could be potentially halfway through my life. And the idea of doing another 40 years of this is fucking exhausting. Yeah. That was the, yeah. it was like looking ahead to more of the same. Yeah. And the reason why I picked up on you saying you were like fascinated by suicide is that I get that as well. Yeah. Like anytime there was a, a high profile death by suicide... I'd become really like, yeah. I wanted to know everything. Yeah. Even when like, um, you know, like when Gary Speed passed and I was obsessed with that. And even though no one to this day really kind of knows what yeah. happens to Gary yeah, Speed, yeah. I was obsessed. And um, yeah, so many of the high profile ones, I just read about them and read about yeah. them and read about them. Well, and it, just, I, the, it fascinated me, the I know, idea of it. But I've since learned that this is quite normal. So, and I think that's a really important thing to, to pick up on is that it is quite, no it is normal to have negative thoughts. What's not normal is for them to ruminate and then you want to sort of mirror them. You know? Yeah, it's a weird, yeah. it's a really weird, it's a fine line as well. Yeah, well, if, so, you, if you watch enough horror movies, you'll stop jumping in your seat. Yeah. You'll stop being shocked by the blood and the gore. Yeah, yeah. 
and suicidal thoughts are like that. Yeah, yeah. The first time you have one, you think, what the fuck? Yeah. I must be a weirdo. That's scary. Yeah. Put it back in the box. You have that thought enough, then it just becomes something you think on a Tuesday when you're having your coffee. Yeah, yeah. It completely yeah. normalises, right? Yeah. But this is a bit like exposure therapy, that isn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. you do get, you sort of get numb to it. Yeah. And I think when you're in such a terrible, terrible place, it's, well, it's just easy to think that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think that's what happens. Depression, anxiety, it makes it easy for you to feel that way. Yeah. So. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I became very comfortable with those thoughts in my own head. Yeah. So I thought I was comfortable with them. But then the first time I said out loud to a therapist that, you know, like, these are the things I've been thinking of. Look, as I said it, I felt queasy. My heart rate sped up. Yeah. And I, then I realized, oh, hang on. I'm not actually that fucking comfortable with yeah. these thoughts. Yeah. I'm just comfortable saying them to me. But yeah. saying them to someone else um, was a different story. And that, I think that kind of, it can show how hard it is yeah. to reach out when you do get oh to that Oh my goodness, that so place, I've been right? telling this story now for the last year because we're fundraising with Big Moose and I still can't say the actual words. <laughs> I can't say, I find it really, really difficult to say what I was going to do. Yeah. I, I skirt around it every time because I'm just so uncomfortable with saying out loud because once you've said it out loud... It starts. It triggers another thing. Yeah, so yeah. It's it's such a it's a horrible horrible place to be. But it, and it's more. This is the thing as well, and this is why sometimes I feel very uncomfortable speaking about all of it. But then I think if one person listens to me speaking like this and thinks, "Whoa, she got out of that. That stopped." Yeah, yeah. You know, and I I said to someone the other day because someone said you've done really well. Um. And I was like, I have to work every single yeah, day at being well. Yeah, finished. Yeah, I have to work yeah. every single day at being well. But what I can do now is understand why I don't feel well sometimes and yeah. what triggers me to not feeling well sometimes. And have better tools, right? The, tool, the tools is the big thing. Is the massive thing. Yeah. Everybody needs a tool belt. So I'm doing this, one of these human-given courses at the moment, and I genuinely believe everybody should have some sort of pathway on that or not necessarily human givens but we should learn why we feel like we do when we yeah. do because with the, when science backs it up it becomes much easier to accept yeah <laughs> you can go all oh, right yeah i didn't feel that well because this triggered me because in the past blah 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 yeah and my brain is pattern matching and blah 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 so yeah. having a certain a, like a baseline level of self-awareness yeah is so important and yeah. i see people all the time like I don't know maybe I'm in the car and you see someone like going mad at someone else or you see someone kicking off in Asda and you I just think you're on you're an automatic pilot yeah you're behaving in like this this set pat you've not stopped to think no is this appropriate yeah is this relevant should I be behaving this way it's complete autopilot and I think the world would be a much more, regardless of mental health, even like take that out. Yeah. The world would be a much more compassionate place if everyone could just, even just like one step more of understanding yeah. their own behaviour. So right? it's funny you say that. I, um, what tipped me over the edge um, the week before the caravan, I had been in the car and a man, I say man, not because he was a man, he could have been a woman, it was definitely a man, but he had behaved really inappropriately on the road with me really aggressively it absolutely wasn't my fault yeah um and he and he well we nearly died because he was being such an idiot and 
after he went, because he'd sort of like, well, I got past him in the end, I had to pull over and I cried so much. And I came out in this really bad, like I come out in a panic rash if I'm really like stressed. And I just thought, if this is what the world is like, I am done. Yeah. And I, and that's why I always, like, the compassion thing is massive. Because you, and I know it goes around on Facebook all the time and Twitter, you know, you don't know what anyone else is going through. But he was the catalyst yeah. to me nearly giving up. Yeah. I don't blame him because there was lots and lots of other contributing factors. But if I hadn't been on that road that day, I might have had another two weeks. Yeah. And those two weeks might have got a bit better. Something might have happened, you know? Yeah, you, you can't yeah. call it. But I just think we all need to be so aware of what is going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that. I always think road rage is a really funny thing, you <laughs> oh. know? Because it's like, and I, f- I think I've probably said this before, but if I'm driving in my car and I come up to a roundabout or something and maybe my foot just slips off the clutch and I have to stop when I shouldn't yeah. stop, I go, oh, whoopsie. Yeah. When someone does it in front of me, it's like, oh, you fuck's sake, you prick. <laughs> it's the same thing when I do it. It's like, oh, oh watch out. You know, like know. some like little uh, little voice in my head just goes, oh, silly you. And then someone else does it and suddenly I'm like Hulk Hogan. But it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? That yeah. whole, whole thing. Like you say, that person who's slipped off their clutch in front, they could be coming back from the hospital after saying goodbye to a loved one. They yeah, could just yeah, be having a really yeah. stressed, crappy day and they've made a mistake. Yeah. I don't think anyone's driving around thinking, oh, I'm going to get I'm up to the roundabout off, and just you know. slam on to yeah. see who I can wind up. I don't off, feel you know? that this man was trying to wind me up. Mate. <laughs> in hindsight, like, we laugh about it now. Scott goes, oh, I remember that time. <laughs> that bloke really upset you. And, um, you know, we've, I got, it was, it was just, it was just the, the tip point you know yeah. and i was just like if well, this is what the be. world is like yeah there was can't to be a go point. So. yeah so um when you first started that therapy first time doing therapy yeah sitting down on a zoom screen yeah me and graham i'm, I'm guessing whenever you uh, talk about it and you say graham i always picture that fella off you used to do jeremy kyle he used to wear the mad glasses <laughs> <laughs> i always think it was him but <laughs> um, i have to um because i do bits of stand-up comedy every now and then when i'm like as if i haven't got enough going on i'm like let's go out and make people laugh because I've got nothing better to do with my time. I have to really explain that Graham is my therapist and Scott is my husband. <laughs> people are getting really mixed up. Yeah. So Graham, who is not the security guard of Jeremy Kyle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you sat down in front of the Zoom screen. Yeah. Haven't done therapy before. No. Nope. You're a little bit kind of apprehensive. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just said hello and then started crying. <laughs> so um, straight in. Yeah, no straight in. I'm Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> So. And Graham was on the other screen going, I can't hear you. Yeah. You're, on, you're on mute. Can you? Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but did you, yeah. after that, how did you feel after that first session? Because it's really easy to say to people, go to therapy, go to therapy. Therapy kicks the shit out of you. Yeah. It's, you don't necessarily, yeah. it's amazing. It's, and it's work again it, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's work. It's called it's, the work, yeah. right? No one likes work. Yeah. Yeah. But how was that like first session for you very, finding very, your way through it? Was it was very emotional. But I left, well, I shut the computer, I didn't leave, feeling a lot lighter immediately. Yeah. Um, because, funny enough, the guy in the car came up straight away. Yeah. Okay. And we unpacked that. And it was just like, right, okay, why do you behave? Why do you feel, why did he upset you? You know, and we just got to the crutch of so many different things. Yeah. Quickly, which was the good thing. Um. And yeah, just just much like that. I I just I'm a big fan. I'm like yourself. I I think everybody should have some therapy. Yeah, there's something about even if it's like 
um, even if you're not trying to solve a particular problem or you're not trying to unpick anything, there's something about being able to kind of like dump all the stuff, all the darkness from your head to someone who is not going to be scared by it. Yeah. I can say anything to my wife. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a supportive family. I could I could ring my mum and dad and say anything at all. And I know that they'd, you know, that they'd help me through it. Yeah. But the first, you know, you sit down, if I sit down with Kim and say something, if I would talk about suicidal thoughts, as much as her actions would be like, right, okay, we're going to support you. We're going to get you help. Yeah. We can do this. I'm here for you. I could, I would, I could see in her face yeah. how scared she was. Yeah. You know? and it's, it's putting that fear on them as well That's then. It. And it's, yeah. you know and then you feel like a burden yeah That's and started all this shit in the first yeah, place yeah, you feel yeah. like a burden yeah, and you're back yeah. in the loop right yeah and it's the i've got a big thing about being selfish i i'm an only child um and i feel like i'm a very selfish person so i spend a lot of time trying not to be selfish right so when i hit that point where i've got nothing in me to fight and I'm like, you are so selfish. Right. And it's just this, like that. you said, it's just this vicious circle yeah. of horribleness then. so. But you immediately felt something shift after that first yeah, time. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, right. Because the first thing Graham said on the phone before we had our first session, because you have to, he rang me and you have to sort of, and I'm terrible on the phone as well. I avoid it as much as I can. I'm really... I'm like, I, I panic and I sweat and I, I say really inappropriate things on the phone because I think I'm funny and it's not funny. It's just really <laughs> awkward. Everyone is like tumbleweed going past my kitchen window when I'm on the phone. So, um, but he rang me and I went out in the garden because my children were in the house and I just, I just started crying. And he was like, listen, I can help you. I can walk side by side with you on this, but you were going to have to work he was like, you were going to have to put the graft in you. He's South African. Those we said it much nicer. It was like, oh, ta-da. <laughs> um, he was like, you were going to have to put the, the work in. And I will I will stand with you the entire time. And I don't think anybody had ever said that to me before. Yeah. Not in that way. Not in that way that you trust. Because like you said, however supportive your family is, like Scott is brilliant. He's, he's fabulous. But I won't put it on him because A, I get that sort of first scared reaction. And B, like he's got his own stuff going on, you know? Yeah, he doesn't need my, my shit as well as everybody else's shit. So you keep it in, don't you? Yeah. yeah and then yeah. where does that go? Just manifests into ugliness. <laughs> so. so did they, um, we talked before about tools. Did yeah. Graham kind of give you some things of some ways to understand yeah, yourself yeah. or to manage so, yourself? Um, the tools is... It was just so much food for thought all the time. So one of the most important things Graham said to me as an OCD sufferer, he said, imagination is just unhelpful. It's just unhelpful imagination. No, yeah, that's right. Just unhelpful imagination. Because I had said something like, what if, what if? Yeah, And he yeah. said, that's just unhelpful imagination. And they were the two most powerful words I had heard <laughs> ever it's so simple i know it? because i i unpicked everything from my childhood and i was like that was just unhelpful imagination what you do is typical anxiety that you create a scenario a situation and it turns into something that probably doesn't even it's not gonna happen yeah yeah you know or if it does happen it doesn't blindside you in the way you think it's gonna because you've already created it so it's like the, it always amazes me how sometimes the simplest things they just hit at the right time. 
And then afterwards, you see him everywhere. You see him on like all Instagram like posts, pretty quotes with flowers on, and all the stuff yeah. in the past that you've just kind of disregarded as fluffy nonsense. Yeah, freaky but little fucks we call them. <laughs> FLFs. Yeah. Like there they are. There they are. Yeah. But when yeah, but sometimes the right person in the right environment puts it in the right way, and it's it's like a light comes on, yeah. isn't it? It's like a switch. Yeah. If yeah. I've learned anything from therapy, it is that someone's explained things in the right way. And it's gone, ah, oh, right. Because like you said, it is just all so simple. Yeah. We create so much of our own stress, you know. But it's it's not always as easy as that, is it? Because, no, you know, no. you, you are put in stressful situations that you have no hold on. And But if you've got those tools to sort of see you through it, yeah. it's game changing. That's it. And you learn to um, you learn to get better at using them. So they are like actual tools, right? So just because someone buys you a drill doesn't mean you can put a shelf up. You've got to have a few goes. (laughs) And it's like we were talking before. So like this weekend, as we're recording this, my car blew up driving down to Wales and I had the kids in the back and no AA cover and it was all just a bit of a mess. And I was saying to you before that if this had happened like two or three years ago, that would have, even though I had some tools there and I had some understanding and I, you know, that level of stress would have broken me and I would have been aggressive. I'd have been snapping at the kids I'd have been getting upset and almost like paralyzed yeah. by the by the the situation. But now I'm even better at using those tools. So it was a case of, right, okay, what do we need to do? How can we solve this problem? How can I get these kids home? And you get better at using the tools. So I think people sometimes think that you do therapy, you get some tools, you get like, and then everything's fucking rosy again. Yeah. But like you say, you have to work at it every day, right? Yeah, like there's nothing to say that you might not have reacted like that this week. It's just that you've got those tools now. Yeah. And those tools are at the right place, right time, and you know how to access the tools, you know? <laughs> yeah, the toolbox yeah. was open. <laughs> it's just got more options. Yeah. So yeah. it's difficult. It's really difficult. But it's, it's very empowering, like, waking up and going, I don't feel great today. This is going to be a bad day. That was always me. I'd wake up, I'd yeah. two feet on the floor, and I'd know straight away yeah. this is going to be a good day or this could be the start of a fucking horrible month. Yeah. And having that same that sensation hasn't really changed it's it's less there's bigger gaps yeah. between them but i still get it but knowing this could be the start of a really horrible month but it's going to be okay yeah uh, so it's not so much that it solves your problems it just makes you better equipped to yeah. to manage them right i always think it's a bit like surfing like i don't surf i have no idea how you surf <laughs> i've got no balance no you know. so i'm looking forward to this analogy already, I then. but i always think like if you take your board out you could either get really flat waters or you could get really crazy waves or you can get some in between I think. Yeah. I'm <laughs> sure you know. could. Yeah. I don't know, but I always think like you don't know what water's coming in. Yeah. Do you you yeah. know, and however much you try and predict it, because we have met offices and things, um, you can't. Yeah. You can't. But you can put your best yourself in the best position yeah. to um yeah, yeah. to and stay I think on your board. You mentioned like self awareness earlier and I think that's the biggest thing. Um but it's also, again, can be the tipping point. Like, I am so self-aware that it's uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. And it's hard to it's hard to be kind to yourself then. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a balance all the bloody yeah. time, isn't it? <laughs> One of my biggest therapy learnings in recent times, like this came in the last few weeks, and my therapist, Trish, she said to me that all of your behaviours, all of this all of this, the ways you react to stuff, the way that you act, the way that you see yourself. She was like, this is, was put in place 
to protect you and keep you safe. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my light bulb moment. Yeah. Because then rather than hating myself for being different to everyone else, I realized that at some point, little me was just doing the best he could yeah. with what he had yeah. and that that no longer serves. But it served me for a long time and just <laughs> trying to... <laughs> <talk. have> <laughs> little me. Little me. That's what it is though, isn't it, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's lo looking back at the little Tom who made those decisions that yeah. don't serve me anymore and having compassion for myself rather because of those things rather than hating myself for those things. That's, that's massive. You yeah, know? yeah. And that's we haven't massive. said this since we pressed record, but I'm training in the human givens approach at the moment. So I'm having lots of these light bulb moments. And it's, you know, like the the, the fact that apparently, I mean, I don't know how true it is because I'm researched, but we're 50% learned behavior, 50% genetics. Right. And I think when you look at that, that that's like, oh my God, yeah, that makes sense. It does this is how sense. I was taught to do things. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was looking at my kids and sometimes they do stuff and I think, right, that's me. Like I can hear yeah. myself in it. Yeah. And then other times they do something and I think, where's that come from? Yeah. You know, where's, that's not me or their mother, you know? So yeah, it kind of makes a, makes a lot of sense. Um, I suppose to kind of double back a little bit, what's integral to this story, something we haven't talked about, <laughs> is booze. Yes. Yes. So I know that you're, what, how many days oh, now I are you? Oh, I think it's 574. 574. Oh, no, no, biscuits is 74. So it's 500 and something. I would give up biscuits now as well. Right, to okay. really punish myself. Wait, I was going to say that's a bowl to biscuits yeah. and booze. Yeah. 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 yeah but not cheese biscuits. Okay. Just the sweet biscuits. Right. Okay. Well, I feel like that's important. You've got to have something. Yeah. Exactly. Life's still got to be worth exactly. worth living in some way, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so what, let's talk about your relationship with booze, mate. Have you always been a boozer? Yeah. Yeah, since I was about 15, and my capacity for alcohol is very good. I'm a very good drinker. I spent a lot of time in Eberville Rugby Club as an adolescent, um, and I could quite easily keep up with <laughs> any bloke there. Um, and as most 18, 19-year-olds do in the South Wales Valleys, that continued. I went to university in Bath, but I travelled home every weekend so I could go to Abertillery on the piss. Um, and yeah, and then somewhere just after I'd had Kiki, which is my second little girl, so just during the pandemic, I suppose, I don't want to give the pandemic credit for it though, you yeah, know? Yeah, I'm with you um, there, yeah, I know that. But I started with the wine in the weekdays, and in then... The, sorry to interrupt there, mate. During that patch, or like through uni and stuff, yeah. where's your mental health Awful. Awful. Right. Terrible. From, from, so my mum um, was sectioned the day before my 13th birthday. Okay. And probably, even though I didn't think it at the time, obviously this had massive impact on a lot of things because she was in hospital for a really long time that stint. Um, it was the second time she'd been sectioned in my lifetime. Um, did you know, as a 13-year-old girl, did you know what, like, sectioning yeah, was? yeah. yeah. Yeah, because she'd been in and out of hospital and, like, she used to have a counsellor that would come to the house. That's right. what they called him. Colin. Colin. <laughs> I wonder what happened to Colin. Um, and so she she's always been poorly. Um, but she's great, you know? Yeah. So it, it wasn't that it was a bad... It was obviously a bad thing, but I, I wasn't sort of... I was sheltered from a lot of it until that day. Yeah. And then when you're 13... You can't really be sheltered or, yeah, you know, you know yeah. what's going on. So 
she was sectioned the day before my 13th birthday and I just that's the pivotal moment in from when things started to get really bad um but like when I think of the OCD I tagged you in a story the other day like the OCD has been there for as long as I can remember wow so, like, I didn't sleep as a kid. I was dragged back and forth clinics, and they probably would have said I had ADHD now. Right. Um, but that I was just diagnosed with hyperactiveness. That's what yeah. they said. <laughs> and they gave me a little bit of medication to go to sleep, but that didn't work. Um, but I didn't sleep just because it was easier not to sleep because of the routines I had to go through. Right. Okay. But I never told anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> which might have been, you know, yeah. it would have been a good wow, idea to yeah. have told someone that I have to tap so many things and change my pillow around and everything has to be in a certain way that it's just easier not to get into bed. Yeah. Or or get in the sleep position then. That's what it was. Wow. So, yeah, yeah so there was also That's a lot, man. That's a lot for yeah. a little person yeah, to yeah, be yeah. stashing away, right? Yeah, I, like the funny, I, like I'm laughing at it now, like when I listen to your Stuart Ralph episode, like... <laughs> I genuinely believed if I didn't walk down the stairs in our land on our house the right way, Guy Fawkes would be at the bottom of the door. Wow. And if I didn't walk out the the big room, we had a big room in a certain way, if I didn't tap the door for him in a way and I can still see how I tapped, you know? Because yeah. it went on for so long. Had you kind of kind of forgotten about that little yeah, bit? Yeah, until, until I listened Stuart's to Stuart. Episodes, and Stuart yeah. was like, I thought there was a shark in the bath and I was like, Oh my god, I thought Guy Fawkes was at the bottom of our house. Wow. Um, but yeah, or oh Elvis was in the other room, and I, I would love to speak to a psychologist who could pick apart why they were big <laughs> male influencers, yeah, dead yeah. men. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so and like nobody ever picked up on that ever. Wow, which is insane. Yeah, but why would they if you're not why telling them? Yeah. So and then after mom gets sectioned. Yeah, so we had a rough couple of years then. Um, and then I went to uni. I mean, you know, with all that going on, and you still did well enough to go to uni. That's sort of pretty amazing in itself, Anne. Really. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. It was normal. It was for you. It was normal. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my dad. This is probably why there was prominent men, for dead men. In the house. My dad was a bit of a character. We lost my dad last year. We say lost, not funny. Lost him. Off it's a he funny went. Expression, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, turn up again. Yeah. yeah, he died last year. Um, but he was a very interesting man. He was very, ah, oh, how would you say? Yeah, eccentric, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. So, like, we never knew where the money was coming from. And at some point, we would have an awful lot of money. And then we would have no money at all. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes we would have trading standard officers in the house. And sometimes he wouldn't come home for the night. And he'd come home without a belt. Because <laughs> <laughs> he'd been locked up. Um, like, we never paid for electricity in our house. Because he had, like, wired... He was very clever. Right, wired yeah. our house up to everybody else's in the street. So instead of like ne like next door having to fit the whole bit, the whole street had a little bit of you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's like, fair. Yeah, 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 he's fair. Um, so I got home one day and like the house had been raided, and he was in jail because he had been chipping playstations. Remember when that was a yeah, thing? Yeah, I do. And copying <laughs> games. Always wondered who chipped them. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was my dad. Yeah. I've been ever feeling. Uh, Rasa. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there was, like, if you look back, 
work, like security, like I was saying, human givens work on an approach that we have nine big needs that need to be met. And if they're not, we can get into like difficulty. Yeah. So security would have been a massive one for me, you know, because sometimes we live in the high life. We're going to Florida for a month and then I have to borrow money so I can eat off the girls. So it was all very, but it was, it was normal. Yeah. You know, it was the most normal thing in the world. So yeah, I went to uni and I would say it was just before uni that I started, because I've got all the classic cliches, um, I started self-harming just because I just felt numb all the time. And I I still think like I'm really, and this is what's happening now where I'm learning so much about mental health. Like this could have all been avoided. You know, I lived a really miserable life for a mm. long, long time. Nice. And I just think, like, if I can go out there and just help one or two people, then I'm doing my job. Yeah, you think of that person. I always think of this yeah. podcast. How can I um, how can I reach me six years ago? Yeah. For me, you didn't know this stuff. Yeah. Because it's easy, uh, well, not easy as such, but, you know, there is a a thriving mental health community online and yeah. you know we can send each other messages and that's how we know each other yeah, and all yeah. that sort of stuff but it's it's about reaching you know, i have said this Hannah, before to you it, though you know? like i genuinely think this podcast should be on a prescription because i like i've learned <laughs> oh, loads from this that was very kind me too yeah me too. no i genuinely uh, do and I, I recommend it to everybody so i'm really excited to be on here as well oh myself. mate well yeah i've made it now yeah that's it that's it i am proper mental <laughs> so but no because it's about talking and it's about understanding and it's about like you know like again it's, it's sort of like if one maths teacher could teach you an equation in one way and you won't have a bloody clue what he's saying yeah another one can do it in a completely different way and you've got it yeah you know it just it's, just, it's just what bits you pick up on so yeah yeah it's the same with therapy isn't it who, who do i speak i think it was marie score and her episode and she said like finding a therapist is like dating you just got to yeah. stick at it until you find the one that find the one that works. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, uni, mate. Yeah. Sounds so, like was... yeah, I was just really miserable in uni. I ended up moving back home and driving. I did really well. Though. I had a two one. I was three percent off the first. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still upset ah. about that. Because <laughs> I think if I had just done the work experience module properly, I would have walked away with the first. Yeah. But there we are. Um, yeah, I just hated it. I hated being from home. Yeah, should we spin round because yeah. that wind, mate? Yeah. Um, hated being away from home. Hated, you know, I'm a proper home bird in the sense of I love Wales. Yeah. I love the valleys. I'm really passionate about the valleys. I don't know why I went out to the valleys to be honest, but um, so yeah, I was just really sad. And then I got back, and I like I did nothing for a couple of years. But um, when you when you're feeling like that, that that gap, um, alcohol fills that really oh well. Oh my right? god, yeah! And I thought we were living our best lives. Like yeah. we were out every weekend. <laughs> I had a, um, a job behind the bar in a rugby club, which was ideal. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, I I genuinely thought I was having the time of my life, and I I like I just hope my girls <laughs> never have to go through that. You yeah. know. I, they say, don't they? Um, I don't know the stats. I'm always quite careful what I quote with regard to that stuff. But um, apparently, the numbers of like young people having an interest in alcohol culture, like you know, we're a similar age, that kind of like '90s yeah. teenager vibe. It was the be all and end all, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, yeah and think, like especially like the Ladette culture yeah, like I could drink yeah. a pint of Guinness in three seconds I thought I was the dog's bollocks yeah, like you're kind of rewarded yeah that like that's, yeah. that's not <laughs> that's not a good thing you know yeah. but it's, it's clever mine to be fair <laughs> yeah. I can do it but no no so I um I drank for a lot and then during the pandemic so we had two little girls and the, I started saying to Scott can you bring a bottle of wine home and then there was wine there every night. And then at one point I was drinking like two bottles of wine and then I'd finish off with the little cans of gin and tonic. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be horrible the next day. Um, and I, I've always known that there's an issue um, just because I just, like, I'd be the last to go home and I'd be the last at the bar and I'd be like, oh no. And like, if it was like stop tap, I'd be like panicky that I couldn't have another drink. Yeah, and yeah. You know, I was the one that drinking wine on the way home still, you know, after you've just had a full day and night out for the rugby. Yeah. Um, And I, you know, and I used to think, right, next week now we'll stop. Next week we'll stop. And then we were down in the caravan again in West Wales and I did a full weekend because it, it was my birthday. And my birthday always falls on a bank holiday. And we did a full weekend of it. <coughs> and we were on the beach and Blossom, my eldest little girl, had asked me, to, could she go to the toilet? So I had to take her to the toilet. And I was really resentful that I had to put my wine glass down and take her to the toilet. And nice. I was like, you're on a beach with your children. This is not a day out. This is ridiculous. And I, it was from that. I was like, no, you stop. That was your moment. That was it. <clears throat> that was it. Yeah, a lot of people think that moment has to be something like, like really rock dark bottom, really yeah. Horrendous or, yeah. Yeah. And that's right. I just right. think the rock bottoms had added up to a point where it, it didn't need that much tipping. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I just thought, I don't want these girls growing up having a mum who's not around for them because she's yeah. too interested. You know, like, I, she wanted to go to the toilet. Like, we weren't on the piss, we yeah. were on the beach. Yeah. And I was like, oh, can't you hold it? And I was thinking, you yourself, Anne, you know, this is awful. Yeah, it's uh, like that. I suppose that comes back down to that self awareness we talked yeah. about before, you know. And yeah. a lot of what therapy does is it holds a little mirror up to you. Yeah. And you kind of see what's in that mirror and you don't always like it and no. then you kind of have to deal with it. But yeah. then sometimes just through life or by accident or by something, that mirror gets held up and sometimes it's more than a safe amount. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you get a big look at yourself and your yeah, actions yeah. and you just think like, this is not okay. This, yeah, I, this who is the not fuck is this? Yeah, this yeah. is not who I want to be and this is certainly not how I want my girls being brought up. Um, but that, so that was the day that I decided, but I still carried on weirdly enough. And then we went for a walk. I went for a walk with the school mams while the girls were um, in school. And we'd gone for this walk up the mountain in Merthyr. It was lovely. And we went back to a pub in the country. Like, it's like the Pond Sticks. It was like a country. So we had two pints. And I was pushing for a third pint. And I knew I had to drive the car. And I knew I had to get the girls. I knew I had to get Blossom from school. And I was like, you were willing now to drink another drink yeah. and risk taking this, because I had Kiki with me, driving, going to the school, you know, after three pints. Yeah. Have a look at yourself. Have a look. And that was the last drink I had. So I had two pints. Yeah. And that was the last. You go cold turkey on it. Yeah. yeah. And th this is where it gets interesting, I suppose, because I felt really vulnerable for a long time. And I think this is where, like, so I had therapy then. 
um, I think it was like two months after I'd given up alcohol. Yeah. I felt like the weekend after I decided, so after that walk and the, the pub, I just felt like, you know, like when, when you've been sick and, you need, you know, people need to like feel sorry for you and that. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, like when you, I remember being off school and watching This Morning under the duvet and I felt like I needed to do that. Yeah, I felt yeah. so vulnerable for so long. So I totally see why people relapse in those first few couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like their mirror is fully up when there's no alcohol in them in. Yeah. It is fully up but and it's clean. It's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like essentially it's a like a coping mechanism, and someone's yeah. took that away. I had no idea, so it took me two years to stop drinking from the moment I decided. Yeah, and I'd go months, and then I'd be like, oh, I'll just have a couple. Yeah, so I'd have a couple, and it would be fine. So then I go, well, I can have a couple and yeah. it's fine. Next week I'll have more than a couple, and then yeah. the cycle would repeat, and then yeah. I'd do something ridiculous. It took me two years, and I had no idea that I had anxiety until I stopped drinking yeah and I realized how scared of the world I was yeah. <laughs> and because every time I'd been in a position where I had to challenge myself and prove that anxiety wrong I could always do it drunk yeah always do it drunk or completely avoid it yeah get too drunk the night before and use my hangover as a way to avoid it yeah <laughs> you know but yeah. it's like the hangover is a big thing as well <laughs> yeah. and it's still still involved in that yeah it's a big part of the yeah yeah of everything and I think that's that is the hardest thing about giving up booze, isn't it? Yeah. Especially when it's more of like a recreational yeah, yeah. thing rather than a physical. I never had like physical withdrawals. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, you've got to learn to yeah. navigate the world. Yeah, again, right? and I like I there's a few things that I've learned. So like we again, I had to do like a full summer season down the caravan. Um, where there's an, o- an awful lot of alcohol culture, which is absolutely fine if you can deal with it. Yeah, yeah. If you're not, you know, going home on the Sunday and then necking a bottle of wine and whatever. Um, but I used to tell myself, I'd be like, right, if you want to drink, you can have one, but you have to get to three o'clock. And then if you still want one at three, you can have one. So for the first couple of weeks, I still took a bottle of wine in my bag. Right. And then I'd get to three and I'd be like, right, if you have this drink now, you won't be able to drive back. So you'll have to get a taxi and you just, you know, for the sake of another couple of hours, I wouldn't bother. Yeah. And then I'd say, right, if you want one when you get back to the caravan, you give it till eight o'clock. If you still want one, then have a glass of wine watching the TV. And do you know what? I didn't want one. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's like, that's, it's not to be underestimated how much emotional energy that takes to spend your day (laughs) clock watching, (laughs) bottle of wine watching (laughs) and trying to avoid it. Because I think whenever I talk about booze, I never really talked about my relationship with drink for a long time because a lot of people that I have on this podcast have had massive addiction issues, rehabs, big stories. And that was never my story. Yeah. And I always felt like I couldn't share my story because I didn't go to rehab or I didn't, yeah. you know, like I wasn't. But this is what we do, don't we? We undermine everything. Yeah. We never go, oh my God, that was quite uh, a stressful, you know. Yeah, that's it. One of the reasons I started talking about it more openly is because there's a really big, like, sober community on social yeah. media. And, you know, they're all great. They're doing their thing. They make it look easy. They make it look great. It's all like, oh, since I stopped drinking, I've done this and yeah. I've done this and I've done that. That wasn't my experience. No, I know. So this is the bit I have really struggled with because, like you said, the sober community is brilliant. And if you can get to that point quickly, amazing. You have done amazing. 
Um, and I remember saying, so my friend Jimmy Watkins, he's a running punk and he's went sober quite a bit before me. He's about a thousand days now or something we celebrated the other day because we do it in days. That's sober lot. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember saying to my friend, Jimmy Watkins is having all this good stuff happening to him because he gave up drink and it's not happening to me. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like, where's my book deal? Where's my job offers? Why am I not getting the work? You know, why is Buckingham Palace not answering me? Because, you know, I've stopped drinking and now I'm capable <laughs> of doing good things. And it just doesn't work like that, you know? You still have to do the good things. Oh, right? you still have to do the good thing. And you still have to be okay. That's the big thing. Yeah. I'm just going to say that we're going down a hill, so you might lose me yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but the good stuff does come. It really does. And I think I'm, I, you know, I'm always mindful about being like, oh my God, here it is. Here's the good stuff. Because I know how quickly the bad stuff can come too. Yeah. But to be fair, it does come. Yeah. So. Just got to keep going, man. I yeah. Think when, like, you know, you've got a big personality. You always refer to yourself as a show pony. Yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> known for, like, boozing and having fun. Yeah, and yeah. So people come to expect that. Yeah. And I see it a lot of the time now when with people that I know, people that I really care about who are big drinkers, and I see my experience of drinking too much in them. I see the same yeah, thing yeah. happening. And I think it's almost like you become a... A performing monkey for other people yeah so it's yeah it's just, like, just come expected and have a drink, yeah come and have a drink and they're like, you're a bit quiet tonight why don't you have a drink yeah. and um and it's the external pressure to have a drink is so much harder than yeah. any internal oh pressure to not have one right? that that's been the hardest especially as well because i haven't got the big story i haven't got that i'm an alcoholic you know because I, I don't think i am i you know i know probably the aa would argue with that but I think I've got issues with alcohol, but I haven't got, I'm not an alcoholic. So people are like, well, you can just have one then. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't, honestly, because one will lead to a session. Yeah. And then a session leads to depression. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's, that's a t-shirt. I know. That's a t-shirt there. Yeah, I found um, my top tip is always when I first stopped drinking, and it was always like, people always be, First of all, go on, just have one. Go on, try and talk you into it. And then they get really like passive aggressive. Yeah. And then that turns quite nasty. And yeah, people yeah, say, yeah. oh, you're so boring. People yeah. are like, all right, so if you be mean enough to me, I'm going to do yeah, what you I want am me gonna... to do. <laughs> right, yeah, that's the way to get it. But again, self-awareness, yeah, right? Yeah. So the, the, like I always used to think, well, if I'm doing something that you know you can't do, then that's me holding a mirror up. Yeah. So people don't yeah. like looking in that no, mirror. No, They're no. not ready to. They don't no. have to be ready to. That's their yeah. Their and I journey. mean, like that's what I'm saying. Like not everybody like drank like I drank or drinks like I used to drink. Yeah, and yeah. Not everybody feels like I did after drink. You know, like yeah. I was just horrible for days, like sad and panicked, and you know, I'd make bad decisions and. And like, and I'd say, right, I'm going to start writing my book this week, and then next week I'd be hung too hungover too. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Nothing yeah. productive was happening, yeah. other than we kept having babies. So <laughs> that's another reason to stop. There's a lot to answer for. Uh, I um yeah. So my top tip whenever I was going into pubs when I was newly sober, one of the first things I'd do on the way in is um, pick up an empty bottle of Bard or something. And then you can have that on the table in front of you. No one can see that it's empty. And every time someone's like, do you want a drink? I'll be like, no, no cool, no, I've got this one. Right. And yeah. they just leave you. Once everyone, like, once the first hour's out the way and everyone's drunk, yeah. they don't give a shit about you then anyway. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? They talk you into getting drunk again yeah. and then fuck off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> as, soon yeah. as, as soon as their mission's accomplished. Yeah. And then they go into an Iron Man on the Sunday or something because they don't have hangovers. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Because so. they had four and stopped. Yeah. Um, 
the I I we get out of this. Yeah, we, I'm not uh, really yeah. keen on the pity. I get a lot of pity, like oh, this must be so hard for you, and I'm like, it's not. Yeah. It must be harder for you. Yeah. <laughs> it must be harder for you sitting next to someone who's not drinking. Um, but yeah, even like this week, my friend said to me, oh, so and so so and so asked me, were you an alcoholic? And I said, and what did you say? <laughs> And she said, I said, no. And she said, oh, I just feel really sorry for her. <laughs> I was like, don't feel sorry for me. I am now living my best life. Like, so. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it, that someone giving up something that's essentially poison. That's what booze is, yeah. right? If you drink in large quantities of it, you're poisoning yourself. Yeah. Something that makes you sad really affects the quality of your life. And you make the brave decision to give that up. And people feel sorry for that. I know. Rather than say, that's such a weird thing, isn't it? I know. It? I know. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. I just, you know, it's each, like, stay in your own lane, isn't it? If yeah, you can, If you it, can man. go out and get absolutely shit-faced and be fine the following day and not want to kill yourself and not hate the world, then, you know, I'm jealous of you, yeah. you know? I can't do that. And, like... Even Scott said this week, Scott's not a big talker, um, but he said, we were talking about drinking. I've got a hen do this next weekend, right, yeah, which yeah. will be interesting because obviously I haven't done anything like that sober. Yeah. And I was like, holidays, yeah, all the big ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, fear up. And Scott said to me, you just got to remember that you're a better person without it. And I was like, do you know what? I needed to hear that. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for someone who's not emotive. Yeah. But then, I, funny enough, Blossom asked me, so Blossom is eight, and she asked me a couple of weeks ago, should you think you'll drink again? And I said, I, I don't know. You know, you can't, you can't mm. call it, can you? And I went, why? And she went, I don't really want you to drink again. And I was like, boom, put that in my back pocket. Yeah, that's it. Call on so, that whenever you, whenever you want. Yeah, it's, it's weird, like, because... I always think my relationship with drink was the way it was because of the way I was, right? It was my yeah. crutch. It gave me my superpower. It allowed me to navigate life. Yeah. And then I stopped. And so I stopped around about the time Reese was born. So I can always remember it by how old Reese is. Yeah, so yeah. like six and a half years. And then this summer, I went to see Pearl Jam in Hyde Park. Yeah. And I was with Kim. I was with my two bestest friends in the whole wide world that I've been mates with forever. And before we all kind of like grew up and stuff that's what we did we went to see bands yeah. and festivals that's what we did together and we were in the sun with my favorite people watching my favorite bands and I thought you know what I, I really fancy a beer and I've done I've done sober festivals I've done yeah. sober gigs I've done all that sober in that time so I knew it wasn't like a some weird flashback yeah you know? yeah um and then I spent about an hour sort of humming and hawing, like, should I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, should I? And Kim said to me, have a beer if you want a beer. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to have yeah. one. And I went and I had a beer and it was really nice. And I kind of like liked it. And then I had another one. And then I had another one. And after the third one, um, I just kind of thought, oh, I don't feel like another one yeah. anymore. I feel like fine. And I just got on and we watched the gig and we went back to the hotel and everyone was like tucked up in bed by half past 11 because we're not young and drunk <laughs> anymore. But... And then I, I was thinking, well, for so long I was scared to have a, a drink in case one just turned into like yeah. a, a whole weekend. And then I thought, well, I'm not the same person who had to stop. Yeah. I've been in therapy for four years. Yeah. I've changed my entire life. Yeah. So it's different then. Yeah, so yeah. I can start to play around with that relationship. Yeah. I've not had a drink since. I've not had another beer since. Yeah. You know? And that was back in the summer. But it, it was a really interesting experiment to get to that place. Yeah. Where I thought, uh, but, and, and again, that's another tool for you, though. No, like, I fancied a beer. I had one, two, three. Nothing terrible happened. 
I'm okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And really I think it's I think it is about like so the big thing as well is like whether you actually fancy a beer as in the taste of a beer or you want the effects of the beer. Yeah. And I think they are two very different two things. Because there's things. a couple of times, well not a couple of times, probably every night still, I could murder a glass of white wine. <laughs> yeah. Like I could, you know? But I know I won't just have one. Yeah. So I'm not at that. Yeah, yet. yeah. It takes time. But but you know, who's to say in five years' time we could be having this conversation again and I've gone, Do you know what? We went out for a meal and I had a glass of white wine. You yeah, know? We yeah, don't know. We could both be sat there with an empty bottle of bud yeah. pretending to each other. <laughs> or we could be in the priory. Yeah, we could. <laughs> so remember more. when we did that yeah. podcast? Yeah, and said so we didn't have a big enough story. <laughs> now we Here have. it is. Yeah. Uh, so after like that sort of almost uh, dependency, right, on, yeah. on booze, yeah. how much do you think giving up and putting that crutch down how much of a part did that play in the slide that led you to Big Moose and all that stuff? Um, massive. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. I just think I had nothing to fall back on. I was numb. You know, there was nothing to numb anything. There was everything I was feeling. I was feeling full yeah, hammer and tongs. Yeah. And, you know, like, again, it was the self aware There's a picture of me. We went down to Ogmore and... Um, I said, just got to take a picture of me. And I was like on day two of not drinking. And I felt like it had been years already at this point. <laughs> and then I remember having one a picture taken at day nine. I was like, take a picture of me. I'm changing. Because I still felt bloody terrible. Yeah. And that was the May. I gave up in the May and it was the June that I decided to go home yeah. wow. <laughs> on that day. Yeah. So So it's definitely um in there yeah in yeah there it's, it's, it's you know and i don't think anyone should ever underestimate the effect stopping drinking even if you only have one or two like going going on a sober night out is a whole new world yeah, yeah, yeah. and i just think i think if you've done one night and that's all you plan on doing well done if that's what you wanted to do you know yeah because you shouldn't underestimate how hard in this culture, it all is. So yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because you want to kind of like drink the Kool Aid and tell everyone everyone should yeah. be sober, everyone should do be therapy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Not everyone is like particularly no, fucked up. So yeah, they don't, need, the thing. don't need either of those. That things. is exactly it. You know, like I've got friends who can just go out and have one or two and enjoy themselves, yeah. and I'm like, how do you do that? And they're like, because we're level-headed, happy people. Oh, that's it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it all. Uh, so that's like it's led to. All of this that we've just talked about has yeah. led to some huge changes in your, yeah, yeah, in massive. your life. Um, you're training to be a counsellor? Yes, yes. So the human givens, I am doing the diploma in that as we speak. Um, ready to give back, really, because I say it saved my life. But it cha- more importantly, it changed my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think because it's, it's all well and good saving someone's life and putting them back on that path. And then what? Yeah, what yeah, happens that's then? Such a good point, isn't it? Yeah, such a good point. Yeah, get so, people out of crisis, and then yeah, um, what's the saying? You can't heal in the same environment that made you sick. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So the changes have been, like I said, like now I can go. <gasps> good stuff's happening to me, like it happened to Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I'm training. I went to London a couple of weeks ago, um, and I think it's worth saying, like human givens is it's a different kind of therapy. Um, they work on a fast approach and they work on the approach, you know, the nine needs need to be met and it's just fascinating. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can get them on actually. Yeah, sounds, definitely, uh, definitely. Really it's it's like, I think it's quite groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. I'm obviously, I'm new to this side of things, 
because I've been the other end of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know how much groundbreaking stuff is happening, but I would say this is one to definitely watch. Wow. Yeah, that's so, fascinating. Eh? And you're doing loads of stuff with Jeff and Chloe. At Big yeah, Move. yeah. So they are fundraising this year for um, Project One Million. They're trying to raise a million pound to give back to, to you know, provide this therapy for people who need it. Because so, it is literally... So they're going to raise the money and then yeah. people can refer to them yeah and they're gonna so at the moment anyone can access big moves for therapy they can have four free sessions of human givens yeah and that's 400 pound a time yeah yeah so they need to raise the million so that they can keep providing the therapy um and the results they are getting they just oh this it's really emotional you know people go in there at crisis point not knowing where to turn and they've been turned away from their doctor or with, you know, a waiting list of goodness knows what. And, you know, four sessions later, they've got a new lease of life. Yeah. So Something that I think is so important in the mental health conversation, and it's something that's changing loads over recent years, and there's loads of people doing it, I'm sure that I don't even know about. But um, it's mental health sometimes can be so clinical. Yeah. And like therapy and, you know, you go to your doctor, your doctor refers you, yeah. you sit in the same like white walls and all the rest of it. and But... Like Big Moose, their colours is like orange dots. Yeah, it? yeah. And it's slap bang in the middle of Cardiff. Me yeah. and Kim went there for breakfast once before we ah. like um we didn't know what it was or yeah, what they did. Yeah. We were just looking for somewhere shop local in it, somewhere yeah, independent yeah. Well to done. go for our breakfast. <laughs> and uh, we ended up in there. But um and it's it's slap bang in the middle of the Cardiff city centre. Yeah. And to have that focus on mental health. There, you don't have to go to your doctor. No. You don't have to go to a hospital. No. You know who you can contact these yeah. people that serve coffee in the high street. Yeah, and yeah. There's something really accessible and normalizing and beautiful about that. And I think this is this is the key because it's that, that no man's land. Like, you've, you don't feel well, but you know there's no point going to the doctor because they're either going to give you tablets or refer you. The referral takes weeks. By the time you've hit that point where you're like, I need to speak to someone... You can't wait any longer, you know? So, like I said, Scott bought us that time. And then, like, within a day of speaking to Jeff and Chloe, a day or two days, I think it was, maximum two days, Graham had given me a call. So everything was in motion. So all I had to keep doing was, right, Graham's rang. You've got an appointment with him next Wednesday. It's fine. Get to next Wednesday and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's that light at the end of the tunnel and it isn't an oncoming train, you know? (laughs) Some tangible yeah, to fucking cling on to. Yeah, and I think hope... um, I forget, one of your guests had said that there's no such thing as hope. (laughs) And I was like, oh, hello. (laughs) Hello. Um, And I I think hope is still really important. Yeah, me too. Me too. And you only need a crumb. Exactly. You know, people like underestimate when you are at that point yeah when you are heading towards crisis or yeah. in crisis it's surprising how little hope you yeah. need to, to turn but the light and that's on. the thing like i said like nobody had ever said to me i could you know i can help i can help you yeah you know and i because i think we're afraid to say these days as like, oh i can help because you know we end up in court for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know and i think people are afraid to sort of you know but graham was so reassuring he was like i can help you but you are gonna have to graft this and I was like, at that point where I was like, I will graft because yeah, I want yeah, my yeah. girls to have a mum. Yeah. You know, and it was as simple as that. 
So, yeah, it's life-changing. And you, so counselling, work with Bid Moose, you're yeah. also, um, what's the wonderful women, mate? That's quite ah, new, isn't yeah, it? Tell yeah, me about yeah, that, yeah. So, through Bid Moose, so, like, this is the thing. Now, this time two years ago, I wouldn't have gone to an event on my own. Um, I wouldn't have, you know, unless there was wine involved. I, I would have gone if there was wine involved. Um, but there's an event in Cardiff in Big Moose called Fierce Femmes, and Kelly Powlin, who set it up, um, basically gets three women to come and talk about how brilliant they are, but they don't do it like that. I'm saying they're brilliant, you know, they're not arrogant people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they tell their stories and their struggles, and it's just phenomenal. Like, the power in that room that night. And every time I've gone to one, I've been like, that was brilliant, that was amazing. But I wish I didn't have to go to bloody Cardiff for it, because it's, you know, 50 yeah, minutes down the road yeah. for me. And I was like, there's so many amazing women in the valleys. And I was like, my first thing was like, right, I'm going to ask Kelly to come up and do one up here. And then my second thing was like, you have to be the change, Han. You have to be the change. Yeah, if you want your yeah. girls exposed to these things, you have to be the change. So I wrote Kelly an open like letter on a blog, um, basically telling her that I was going to copy exactly what she's doing, <laughs> but in the valleys. Um, and yeah, it, what's come out of that is superb. So we meet once a month. And three amazing women of all very different backgrounds get up and tell us what's happened. And it's been fantastic. Wow. It's been really great. Because what I noticed, um, and I, I hope Kelly doesn't mind me saying this, Kelly went to a private school in Cardiff. Um, and so did Chloe from Big Moose. Um, and the confidence these young women have is amazing. Yeah absolutely amazing like they're in their 20s and they are changing the world like big time and I just think I want a bit of that for my girls but yeah. I can't afford to send them to private school <laughs> so what I will do <laughs> is I will set up a similar event and just get women to tell yeah. their stories because you know there's women that have turned up that have done like massive massive things and you know, that's all you need to do sometimes. You just need to see these people that live down yeah, the road from yeah, you yeah. doing these massive, massive things. That's so, so true. People who like, who either look like you or sound like you. Yeah. I had a um, an artist on recently. The episode, probably by the time this comes out, it'll be out. She's called Sarah Prinsloo. Yeah. And we were talking about art and everything. And then after we stopped recording, we were just talking about mental health. She's got an incredible um, zine called The It's Okay Project. She puts this like magazine out every few months. And we're talking about the lack of working class voices yeah. in the mental health conversation. Yeah. And I thought, do you know what? Like, it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. We're so used to looking at looking at these people and everyone's like dead rich or dead posh. You know, yeah. everyone's rich and posh to me. You yeah. Know? yeah. And <laughs> Same. It's like you kind of, I don't know, if you can't see yourself in someone's story, yeah. sometimes you can feel distant like it's okay yeah for hit okay for them yeah yeah, but not they, okay yeah, for me. yeah and i just think i'm coming up 40 now and i just think if i had had their confidence and drive at their age how how different things might have been yeah. you know and i'm not it's not too late like you can change the world whenever but i just wish i had you know i just want that for my my lot you know yeah, yeah. but if they're anything like me they won't leave the valleys either so <laughs> <laughs> you know but yeah yeah i just and like, I had a wobble doing this course, funny enough. Um, we have to do some sort of like like practical things. And we were up in London and I was the only Welsh person there. And I was certainly the only Welsh working class person there. And I was like, 
I said to the two, I took the tutor to the side at the end and I was like, I just feel like a dick because of my accent. And she was like, don't you dare do that. <laughs> and I was like, but I do. I just felt like they'd plonk me and I'm going, oh, you need to be better. You need to feel better. <laughs> just, you know, so I'm still having these wobbles at nearly 40, you know, and yeah. I, I'm all right, like. That's it. That's it. It's not, you know, it's just, I suppose, again, exposure, right? The yeah. The more you do it, the more you get get used to it. Your anxieties are always going to cling on to something. So it might as well be your accent <laughs> or your hair or your feet or whatever it's going gonna, it's gonna to be. But it's interesting as well that you're inviting people that are local to come and speak because that's another thing. I think we're a little bit too obsessed um, with, like, the voices of celebrities. Yeah, and this is the thing, right? Because... My friend Courtney, who's got a superb story, will not get up and speak, right? And I've asked her to, I've, you know, I've begged her to. And she's like, people like me don't tell our stories. And I'm like, it's people like you that really should tell these stories. The most. So if I can give these women a little bit of a platform, you know, like, the, like a woman came. She was the first woman in, Merth, in the Glanacher estate in Merthyr to go to university. Wow. She was the first female editor of the Western Mail. <laughs> she hasn't got Instagram, you know? Yeah. But she has got an amazing story. Like, let's hear it. Shine a light. And yeah. We, yeah. We're so obsessed with, um, you know, with that blue tick or that big yeah. following. And, you know, when we're looking for speakers or like, yeah, for this podcast. Yeah. You know, I could chase loads of celebrities and maybe I'd get some. But yeah. And, and no, there's nothing to, to say that they have, they have got brilliant stories. Yeah, it doesn't take it away. No, but it's like, you know, like, where in the world am I going to listen to a lady in her 80s telling me about being the first woman Mate. to go to university from the, the council estate? Yeah. Like, that's incredible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. So, and it's like the one lady that came, like, she's pulled like four million pounds worth of funding for a like a welsh theater wow like you don't hear about these no, things four million quid yeah, yeah so yeah. like like i'm sitting there thinking right so there's four million pounds worth of funding there for things you know <laughs> like this is the stuff we should be being exposed to yeah that's so true isn't so, it so true Mate, yeah. it sounds amazing it's it i'm really enjoying amazing. it i'm yeah. really enjoying it and it's yeah. it's lovely and we raised quite a bit of money from the first one for big moose so yeah. that's quite nice oh mate for a good cause yeah too. so yeah there's um there's one more thing i want to ask you about yeah this is there's always the danger with me and you speaking that it's just yeah. going to turn into us having a recorded <laughs> chat, which yeah. is probably not going to be that interesting for people other than us. But um, something that you're really associated with and something that's really important part of your life is running. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. How did you get into running? <gasps> to back to the start. When I, I told a, you the story, or I, well, do you know I, the story? I know there's a story. I'm trying to set you up, really. Yeah. Because I know there's a story. Good, there. I'm glad. This is yeah. good. You're I think good. I saw you're good it. at this. <laughs> I think I think I saw the story in um, Wales Online. Yeah, or, uh, that might have been yeah, it. Yeah, that was a I bad time. <laughs> um, so basically, um, I had gone, we, me and Scott were on a night out in Cardiff and I mistook my reflection for that of someone else's because um, it was a mirror. And I was like, ah, fat girl. And I don't say fat now because I've got daughters. Um, this was a long time ago. But I was like, that fat girl's got my top on. I was like, oh my God, that fat girl's got my jeans on. Now, I had green jeans on, and green jeans have never been a thing, no, right? So I was like, for her to have the same green jeans on and the same top. And like by the time I realized me and her had the same highlights, I was quite distraught. <laughs> so I was like, I've put on so much weight. What am I going to do? So I was like, I know, I'll start running because people lose loads of weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First protocol, eat a salad, go for a run. Yeah. Done. Health. So, like a couple of nights later, 
I set out to run the entirety of Merthyr Tidville in a pair of trainers I'd had for PE in 1994 and Scott's Baraclava. So nobody would see me. Um, and uh, the police picked me up. <laughs> the first run. <laughs> yeah, because when you run in Merthyr Tidville in a Baraclava, ah. it looks like you've done something wrong. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So the police stopped me and were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm running. And they were like, why are you in a baraclava? And I was like, because I'm chubby and I don't want anyone to ever see me running. And they were like, right, I, we don't advise that. Please take the baraclava off. And I was like, oh, thank God for that, because it's really itchy. <laughs> it's like, I don't know whether you ever run in a baraclava, but once <laughs> the sweat no, no, condenses on your face. Yeah. So um, I got home that night and I was like, the police have just picked me up. And he was like, oh, right, because <laughs> that's how we live. Um, and he was like, you're not going to go again then, are you? And I was like, oh, you'd love that, wouldn't you? You'd love me not to go again. So I kept going. And what happened after that was phenomenal. So I, it never, it's never really clicked. I always think this is really important. I always go, oh, it clicked. Like, I think when people say that, they are waiting for that click. Yeah. It's still bloody hard. Every time I put my trainers on, it's still bloody hard. But what I got out of it was far, far more than weight loss. Like, it's, so, it's seen me through the best of times, through the worst of times. And I I got my job through with Welsh Athletics because I wrote this book. So I wrote this book called No Run Intended because I didn't want anyone else to ever feel like they needed to go in a baraclava. Yeah, yeah. And I've since spent my day times, and my night times, I suppose, my day job then, like carving out safe spaces for people to go because I think there should always be a space for anyone to in sport. Yeah. yeah, anyone. You know, I'm not saying you need to, to get out there and, and become a club runner. I'm not even saying you need to go consistently running. Have a walk run. Just get out and get going because yeah. it's just so important. Because I, I sometimes think back and I think, God, imagine if you hadn't been running through that time. Like, it would have been even bleaker again, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it's really important to me. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, how something that can start off purely because of, like, weight loss. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, a lack of confidence and self-love and all that stuff. And then it can go on to, like, turn out to be what you do for a living. Yeah, yeah. Build all these communities around. Yeah, It's it's really, and it will be till the day I die, really important for me that people know that there's a space for them in the running world. Yeah. Um, because I think in so many worlds, doors are shut when you're not, especially sport, you know? Yeah. Like, if you're not athletic, which I'm not, I don't look like a runner, not that there is a, a particular look, you know? Yeah. yeah. But I go out and I come back a better person and I just think if we could bottle it, we'd be millionaires. Yeah. So what I tried to do was wrap it up in a book. Yeah. <laughs> But I did that weirdly to, um, we, we couldn't have children. We, I just kept having miscarriages all the bloody time. And when we had Blossom, when she was one, I had another one. And I was like, oh God, we, gotta keep, we can't keep doing this. This is bad, you know, you can't just keep trying to have children. So I was like, I know, I'll run a marathon. Because if I run a marathon, we'll be too tired to have sex. Ah, there you go, yeah. And if I run London, I'm going to have to do it for charity and I'll like be committed and I'll be so committed I'll have something else to focus on. So I was like, how am I going to raise this money? And I was like, I know, I'll write the book. I'll write a book about running and everyone can buy it. And then there's my fundraising done. Yeah. And that's yeah. how it worked out. Did you oh, like, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that's why you wrote the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was up in hospital 
the night the, the, the night we had our like third miscarriage and it was horrific because my cervix had gone into shock and I was like, you've got a perfect baby at home, you know. Why are you, you know, to be fair, it was an accident again. All my pregnancies since have been accidents. Bless them. Bless them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can be flippant about it now, but it is a terrible, terrible time. You know, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, of course. And I was up in that bed thinking, what are we going to do? And I just applied to run for Bliss. And um, a couple of days later, they got back to me and was like, right, we'd l- we love your fundraising idea. We'd love you to run for us. And oh, I was like, amazing. shit, I got to write a book. I gotta write a book, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Amazing. It's a nice little story. Yeah, it's a really lovely point to um, wrap up on there, mate. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thanks I enjoyed for having that me. Immensely. Um, we're talking for a good hour before we even like yeah, switched everything on, so I'm I surprised know. we've got a voice left. But, um, mate, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time, no, for your thank you. honesty. and um, Keep up the good work, Tom. Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Han. Bye-bye. Big up to that proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>